0: Good morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 34? And I've entitled this, not what is the title in Scripture. The scriptural title, at least in my Bible, is The Lord a Provider and a Deliverer, and that is true, but my title is Overcoming the Fears of This Life. Overcoming the Fears of This Life. I don't know about you, but We're living in a day, it seems to me, in which there are things going on in our world, in this country, that could lead to fear, that could cause fear. I think probably the best way to think about this is to say, yes, there are things that can cause us to be concerned. We should be concerned when things are like they are in our world today but should they cause us to be fearful? And I think that's what this psalm is dealing with. There is only one to fear, and that is God Himself. And when we fear Him and respond in a way that reflects that, He is with us and He overcomes and He sees us through everything that we're dealing with. Just for a thought, Let's talk about some examples of things that could cause us to be concerned today. Not fearful, but concerned. One of those that I want to share with you is something I received from a friend in Florida, which he received from a friend in Australia. And I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but this particular message was sent out September 30th, so not that long ago, and I want to read part of it to you. In Victoria, Australia, there is an act which was passed last February and which will be enacted February of 22, coming up. It's called Victoria's Conversion Practices Act, and the title of this article is It is a genuine assault on religious freedom. Here's the the writer, Murray Campbell, says this. I just got off the phone with a friend and fellow Baptist pastor from Melbourne. He has resigned himself to the likelihood that he will face imprisonment over the next few years. Not because he's done anything wrong, but because of his faith. My friend had just attended an information session for Baptist pastors regarding Victoria's New Conversion Practices Law. I attended the same forum, but on a different day. The government representatives made it clear in the forum that numerous Christian beliefs and practices, which, uh, and practices are now on the wrong side of this law numerous Christian beliefs and practices. The bill was adopted by the Victorian Parliament and comes into effect February of 22. One government official referred to the Christian view of sexuality as insidious. You know what that word means? It means intended to entrap treacherous, deceitful, all of those kinds of things. This representative was saying, what you Christians believe about sexuality is treacherous. It's horrible. For example, we were informed that no person, no person's sexuality or gender identity is broken or sinful, and to suggest so contravenes the intent of the new law get that? This is going on in Australia as of February of 22. We were told that it's deceptive to say there's a problem when there isn't one. So if you're expressing your Christian views about human sexuality and it doesn't go along with the law in Australia, you're causing a problem. It's wrong to suggest that you cannot have faith unless you change your views about sexuality. We were informed by a lawyer representing the government that we are to affirm people's sexual orientation and preferences and God's love in that. Are you hearing what the law says? Then a couple things happened with questions and answers in meetings with the government representatives. The following questions were asked during the forum of the panel. For example, if someone approaches a Christian and shares that they are same-sex attracted, they ask for prayer because they don't want to live out those desires, but instead live according to Christian principles I, am I acting unlawfully by praying with them towards this end? Here's another question. If the same person who also asked me for assistance on how to live according to Christian beliefs and so refrain from sexual relations outside of heterosexual marriage, am I acting unlawfully according to this law? The answer in both cases is yes, yes this would be a breach of the law. Now, what country is this? Australia. Victoria, Australia, where pastors are having conferences conferences with government officials and being told, if you preach or speak the biblical position about sexuality and what God teaches about it, you will be breaking this law that goes into effect in February. This law is all about doctrine and forcing a hardline humanistic view onto religion. Let me repeat, the author of this article says, a pastor, this law makes it illegal to speak with someone and pray with someone about human sexuality in line with Christian faith. Worse still, it threatens to silence the most precious good news the world can ever know and here's the other thing christians who disobey this law can be put in jail if this is happening in australia starting in february of next year how soon before you how soon before this country begins to promote something very similar how soon will it be before we hear if you talk about the biblical view of sexuality other than what we're telling you is acceptable you could be put in jail I don't think it's going to be very long and I think already pastors and Christians in Australia are wondering what is life going to be like they're concerned but should they be in fear Should they live in fear? Should they have sleepless nights over this law that's coming? Should we? I'm getting calls weekly now, just in these days in the United States, from people who are about to lose their jobs over the vaccine for COVID. One of those is my son, who just retired from the FBI, my oldest son, Dave, Started a new job he's been in it two months. It's a government contractor, and he says, Dad, I might be leaving this job because I am not going to put up with this kind of harassment and this kind of stuff that says, I have to do something which is against my conscience or even against my belief about what the government can do. And he's a retired FBI agent. And I'm getting calls from people even in this congregation, even outside of the congregation. I wrote one letter of character reference for a couple that I married, and the wife asked for it because she works for an airline as a flight attendant, and they've told her after 25 years, unless you get this vaccine, which would violate her conscience, she's gone. So she wrote a letter asking for religious freedom to be honored, and I wrote a character reference for her, and I've heard from others in this congregation that are facing the same kind of thing. Should we be fearful of that? No, but we should be concerned about the freedoms that are being taken away. Listen to some other things. Serious increase in crime across the country, open borders where thousands are coming in daily and bringing drugs. The possibility of global war with Taiwan, law enforcement officers retiring by the hundreds, the rising inflation, the IRS now being granted authority to look into your bank account every time you make a transaction to check out what you're doing in your bank account. School boards forcing unwanted education on children in public schools and then calling parents who are resisting that terrorists. Hopefully you're catching this stuff on the news. We're living in a country that is increasingly turning its back on God and on his word and on those of us who hold it. But I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, this should not cause us to fear. Because we are children of the living God. David, in this particular psalm, has had an experience where King Saul, at least four different times, has tried to take David's life on this one occasion when he was being pursued by King Saul to kill him because Saul was seeing the population switch their emphasis from him to David to be the king. And they were saying, look how many men David has killed. Far more than Saul has ever even thought of. Saul is out to put David to death, to preserve his own kingship. And on one occasion, he flees to Gath, where King Achish is in charge. In the psalm here, as it starts out in the psalm, it says, "A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. The real name of the king there is Achish, but Abimelech is a name like Pharaoh. It's like king. So it's not talking about a different situation, it's talking about 1 Samuel 21, when David is fleeing for his life, and the way that David begins to respond to this concern when he hears what they're saying about him. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to read a couple verses there about what's going on, what's behind this psalm that there is no one on this planet to fear but God. Here's what's said in verse 10, 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. When David arose and fled that day from Saul, he went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, that is to Achish, is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and greatly feared. Did you get that? How's David responding? When he hears this, he thinks, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And he begins to fear Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them. And acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. What's what's David doing here? He's, He's fearful and he's thinking, I've got to overcome this fear. I'm going to pretend I'm mad so then they won't be concerned about me. I'm going to pretend I'm just out of it. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving as a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? That's interesting for a king to say. He's got plenty of madmen around him already. That you have brought this one to act, the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Well, how did David do in this? And why is he writing Psalm 34 now after this event? And it's talking about fearing God. Because here's what I think happened. I think you're going to see in the Psalm as we now go through this that David, after he gets there and becomes fearful when he hears these words, and then he begins to come up with his own plan to handle the fear. I'm going to pretend I'm an idiot, I'm going to pretend I'm mad. Somewhere in that process, maybe towards the end of it, God gets David's attention. And Psalm 34 is that which comes out of it and is addressed to us. Folks, if you're living in fearful times, yes, be concerned, but don't fear what man can do to you. Don't fear what men can do, what men can say. If we have to go to jail for being Christians, so be it. One of the courses I love to teach in the seminary is church history. And the first 300 years were horrible for Christians. Many were put to death in the arenas. Many were slain by Roman emperors even burned as torches. Emperor Nero did that to Christians. But David writes this psalm to encourage us and to say, I learned in that process with Achish in Gath, God got my attention and I'm praising him and I want to teach you not to fear men or anything in this life, but God. And he will be with you. This is a wonderful psalm. And what I want to do is we're going to go through this now and look at this psalm of David. And we're going to see that it's really divided into two parts, verses 1 to 10 and then 11 to 22. In 1 to 10, we will see David's personal testimony of how God delivered him out of the hands of Achish. And it was ultimately God. It wasn't David's method. It wasn't David's playing that he's a madman. It was God that got him out of that. And he learned that lesson. And he's going to share that lesson. And he's also, in these first 10 verses, exhorting all that read this to join in with him and praise the Lord who delivered him. And then the second part, from verse 11 to 22, is David's personal teaching to us and to people in his day Regarding this deliverance and his exhortation to apply it. Apply what I'm saying to you. So, two major parts. We're going to look at the first part now, and there are three subparts in that, and we're going to read it as the subparts appear. So, look at Psalm 34, first three verses right now, which we are going to entitle David's Vow to Bless and Praise and Boast in the Lord and Only Him and only Him. Verses 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Now, this is the first part of, of the first half of this psalm in which David is saying, here's what I've learned in terms of fear, in terms of God, that He is my deliverer. Let's magnify Him. Let's praise Him. I will bless. The, the word bless here in the Hebrew means to bow down, and to acknowledge someone as being very, very important, to acknowledge someone and adore him, and put him first. And David says, I will bless the Lord no matter what, because of what I've learned about him. At all times, in everything that I'm going through, I will give honor to him. I will adore him, and I will praise continually with my mouth the Lord God. David had learned something in Gath. David had learned that, listen, my tricks and my deceit and my lying and pretending is not going to deal with my fear and not going to help me. But he'll tell us in in a few verses, I cried out to the Lord, and he delivered me. So here we are, we're living in troublous times, and they could get worse before they get better. But do we give up? Do we stop sleeping because we're anxious? Do we fear? No, we keep praising God because we know this, He is still on the throne, and He can still do everything that we need We need to join David in this, and that's why he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name. There is no one to boast about but him, and the humble, the people who know I can't do anything for myself, but only look to him, the humble get it, and we will join him in praise. Then he comes to verse 4 to 7, David's recounting of his experience in Gath. Look at this now and think of what he went through when he was fleeing from Saul and went to Gath. He said, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Somewhere in this whole mess of him trying to deceive and bring about trickery to get himself out of this, David finds out, no, this is not working. And he says, and I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears the fears that were causing him to do this play-acting. He delivered me from them all. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The question is, who are they? Who is that that he's talking about? I think I would agree with some who say, or most that I've seen that would say, he's talking about all others who have come to the same thing he's come to. When he says... I sought the Lord, and he delivered me. And now he's saying, look, everyone who looks at him, their face is radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed because he delivers. He's the one that can, and the only one, that can see us through these times of concern or, from the world's perspective, fearful times. Look at verse 6. He says, this poor man cried out, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, think of this. What was David doing before his cry? Deceit, practicing deceit, pretending, coming up with his own method to get himself out of trouble. And in the midst of that, he recognizes this is not working. And he cries out to God. And even in spite of his sin, In spite of his own efforts to solve his problems, he cries out to God, and God delivers him and saves him from all his troubles. And then he adds this as the last verse in this section, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Did you get that? Many times in the Old Testament it talks about the angel of the Lord and encamping around the faithful. And David's remembering that and he's bringing it up and he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and he rescues them. Well, who's the angel of the Lord? The Old Testament mentions him numerous times and many feel like it is the pre-incarnate Christ pre-incarnate, before his incarnation. He was here on this earth defending his people and appearing. Think of that. When we cry out to God, he hears, he sees our need, he sees what would cause us fear, and when we cry out to him for help and say, Lord, I only fear you, he meets that need. And the angel of the Lord encamps around about us now the Lord is a man and he's God and yet the scripture says he if this is indeed the pre-incarnate Christ that was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament he encamps around us when we cry out he is there and not only that but he's there even when we're not crying out He's encamping. He is with us. He will see us through. We can trust in him. Then comes this, the next part in verse 8, in which we read this, David's exhortation to the godly to partake of the same that he has. Listen to verse 8, and we'll read down to verse 10. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. Then he gives this illustration. The young lions who are strong and, and vigorous and who are powerful, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Even lions, he is saying, who are strong and capable, there are times when they're in want because they can't do it all on their own. But it's those who seek the Lord. Those who know they can't do it on their own, that they only have one that can intercede for them. And when they seek him, they will not be in want of any good thing. David says, I want you to recognize what I've learned, what I've seen. When I cried out to God, he helped me. When I, as a a poor, worthless man, cried out to him, not capable of doing it on my own, he intervened. He came to my rescue. Know this, he says, that you won't lack for any good thing when you cry out to him. Then there's the second half from verse 11 and following. Really, we can divide that into two parts. That deals with David teaching us how to fear God, what it means to fear God, how we can be in God's camp, how we can know the angel of the Lord in camps around all who are his children and all who call on him. And then he gives this exhortation for us to apply that truth. So verse 11 to 14, David begins by teaching what he means to fear God. Let's read those verses. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and, li- and loves length of days, that he may see good? If that's your desire, you love life and you, and you want to see length of days, to see what is good, then listen to what I have to say. I want to teach you about fear, the fear of the Lord. So he says in verse 13, keep, number one, three things, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now, why would that have been the first thing on his mind? What had he been doing before he cries out to the Lord? Being deceitful. Lying. Pretending putting forth a false story. He says, listen, aren't we sometimes prone to do the same thing when we get fearful? Trying to make up something, trying to say something, even though it may not be true, it might be the thing that would help us at this moment. David says, listen, when when you have proper fear of God, you won't be using deceit or speaking falsely. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And then he says, secondly, depart from evil and do good. Depart from evil and do good. Can you think of anyone who lived that way perfectly in this life? Jesus Christ, whose image we are to be being conformed to, according to Paul in Romans 8:28 to 30. Be conformed to the image of his Son, constantly being conformed. Do good. Do good. Depart from evil. Don't let any evil be in your life. You're serving the holy God. He is here to be your helper and your deliverer, but you must walk with Him. You must turn from evil and you must do good. You must think like Jesus thought. You must walk like Jesus walked. You must talk like He taught, you must treat people the way that Jesus treated people. Turn from evil and do good. And then thirdly, he says this, seek peace and pursue it. You know, a few chapters, three chapters from 1 Samuel 21 over in, in 1 Samuel 24, David was learning to pursue peace. Seek peace and pursue it. Do you remember in the cave, Saul came in when David and his men are hiding there and David cuts off a piece of his robe and the men say, hey look, God's given him into our hands, let's do him in. What's David's response? This is the Lord's anointed. We can't do that. And then a little bit later, he reveals himself when Saul is out of the cave and he cries out to Saul, why are you doing this to me? I had a chance to take your life but I'm treating you the way God wants me to." He was seeking peace. He was learning that what pleases God is pursuing that, seeking peace. So if you want to fear God, have fear of God for what He stands for. Look to Him. Don't be deceitful. Do good. Pursue peace. Live like Christ and know this that the angel of the Lord encamps around you. And there is nothing that man can do to you that God doesn't allow. And he will deliver you. He will deliver you from all of your troubles. And then comes the second part, verses 15 down to 22. Let's take a look at that and read through that. And this is where he is proclaiming our response to God and God's response to us, both to the righteous and the unrighteous. David is saying, you want to remain unrighteous? You don't want to follow this and be fearful of God? This is what you can expect from him. But if you are righteous and you practice righteousness, here's what he will do for you. Here's where he is with you. Verse 15, and it's intermingled in here. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Did you get that? The eyes of the Lord are always towards you as a believer, towards me, who are his children. And he hears. His ears are open to when we cry to him in our need. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It doesn't mean we're not going to have afflictions, folks, but it means he's there with us. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him shall be condemned ever, ever. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Here's how the Lord responds to the unrighteous, the people who don't come to him, the people who are his enemies, those who who delight in sinful lives. He says there's coming a day of judgment for them. The Lord's face is against them to cut off their memory of them from the earth. And and then he says evil shall slay the wicked. Isn't it interesting? Interesting. What, what an interesting thing that the evil that they are pursuing and doing will ultimately do them in. Evil will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But you, my children, the righteous, you can count on this. My eyes are always upon you, and my ears are always open to your cry. The righteous cry in the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. That doesn't mean that we won't go through some hard times. It doesn't mean we may not end up in a jail for standing up for Christ as Baptist pastors are contemplating that very thing in Australia. But what it does mean is this. We need not fear. First of all, they can't do anything to us that He doesn't allow, and that for our good. That for our good. We can trust in Him. We can fear Him. We can stop laying down at night thinking, oh, my goodness, what if this happens? What if that begins to happen in the U.S., what's happening in Australia? What if I lose my job for standing up for Christ? What if I have to go to jail? What if? And you know who the one who tries to take that and use it in our lives is Satan. He tries to bring fear, get us to come up with our own answers, turn away from trusting God. But David is saying, I learned deceit doesn't work. I cried out to God, and God delivered me, and he put me on the right path. And he continues to deliver me, and he will deliver all of you. Let's praise his name. Let's boast in God. Let's not be fearful. Let's not. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that it's wrong to lock your door at night. Any of you leave your door unlocked at night? Maybe some do. I don't know. I lock mine. It doesn't mean that we don't maybe have an alarm or maybe a, a pistol nearby should someone break in the house and begin to harm our family. By the way, there are men here this morning walking around armed. Why? To protect the flock if someone would break in to do harm. It's it's not out of line to be concerned It's not out of line to go to your school board and speak about your concerns about what they're teaching your children if they were in public schools. It's not out of line to apply for a waiver of your company who wants to remove you or fire you if you don't get the vaccine and violate your religious convictions. It's perfectly legitimate to be concerned and to take precaution. But here's the the real issue. Is that precaution that you're taking what you ultimately trust? You trust that lock on your door? Will it keep everybody out? Do you trust your ability to maintain your job when it's about to be taken from you for standing up for Christ? I hope not. What David is saying is, I learned there's only one to put trust in. There's only one that can help me with all of the things that I could be fearful of in this life, and that is him, and he will always be there. And he encamps around me. And I need not fear. I need never fear. The one that we are to fear, and the only one, is God himself. And God has said, my eyes are towards my children, and I encamp around them, and I am there when they trust me and when they live for me and when they cry out to me. I will meet their need. Count on it. Doesn't mean there won't be afflictions. Doesn't mean there won't be hard times doesn't mean there might even be some suffering. There might be suffering. But he will be with you, and he will deliver, deliver you. And when he says in this, and he keeps all his bones and not one of them is, is broken, this and several other times in the Old Testament, a verse very similar to this is used of Jesus Christ when he's on the cross. Not one of his bones were broken. Here's what I think it's communicating. In Christ's situation, it's literal. Not one of his bones were broken, even in the crucifixion. But for what us it means is this. Until God is through with our life in this world that we live in now, until he is through using us for his glory, until he is done with that, no one is going to make us ineffective for him. We're going to still be able to live. We're going to still be able to speak. We're going to still be able to minister for him until the day that he wants to call us home. He used Jesus and he kept him until he had accomplished his purpose on the cross. He kept his son in great condition. And he kept him from harm until his mission was over. Just in closing, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 46. I love this. I love this psalm. It's about the same kind of thing. Psalm 46. And I'm going to read just a few verses of Psalm 46 to you. Listen to the writers, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Beginning with verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Of Jacob is our stronghold. Do you see what he's crying out there? Doesn't matter what happens, if the mountains begin to crumble, if the sea begins to rise, it doesn't make any difference. God is in control. And we know that when we live this life, we will be instantly in his presence, awaiting for the trumpet to sound when Jesus will return and we will receive glorified bodies and reign with him on this earth without sin, without any afflictions, without any problems for the rest of eternity. Do we live in times when it's proper to be concerned? Maybe even to take some precautions? Yes. Is it possibly getting worse? Yes. Should we fear? Should we be afraid? Should we try to work it out in our own strength? No. Don't even think about that. Cry out to him whose eyes are already on you because you're his and who is the one capable of, of seeing us through every difficulty, every trial, every tribulation, and all the way to glory. Are we going to do that, brothers and sisters? Amen. We need to fear none but God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your words. Remind me, remind us all of the truth of what David is saying. Let us not trust in ourselves. Let us not be fearful of men. Let us fear only you and trust in you for our deliverance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.